There are thousands and thousands of incredible, kind, caring, loving, nurturing, inspired, and inspiring early childhood educators. And you, dear listener, may very well be one of them. In this episode, I'll be introducing you to one of the brightest stars on your noble team, Nick Teromis. Since 2006, Nick has been working with toddlers and with those Lucky Kids families. I could go on and on expressing my immeasurable respect for Nick's wisdom, his clarity of purpose, and his heart-filled humanity. But your time is better spent listening to him than to me. So right now, I will just welcome you to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nini White, and I am so glad you're here. Once in a while, a conversation comes along that you're looking forward to so much because it's going to be fun and it's going to break some boundaries. And I expect that I'll be smiling most of the time during this conversation. Nick Terones, welcome. Welcome to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I read this incredible article uh, in Exchange Magazine, and uh, you had uh, presented to early, early childhood educators about something that you bring to your classroom with toddlers and little three and four-year-olds that's not quite normal. What would you like to tell us about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and, and it's interesting, like it, it, you know, it's normal for children or it should be amongst their play, but it's mm. this idea of rough and tumble play. And, mm. um, and I think along with that, I think I bring the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm a male and a male of color who works with uh, one and a half to two year olds pretty, pretty exclusively. I haven't really been with uh, above three year olds for quite a while now. Wow. Um, I've been working with toddlers for coming up on my 12th or 13th year. So, wow. um, you know, and I, and I am finally feeling like I got a good grasp on it, but um, uh, it, yeah. So I, I definitely, um, you know, roughhouse with them quite a bit. And over the time of being with these young children, I've really, you know, really come to see how uh, resilient they are physically and how much they can take. Um, and so we, you know, engage in, uh, in, in, in some wrestling and, and other sort of uh, roughhousing uh, things. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And when I had my kids and when I was a kid, I remember my father just throwing me up. One of my hugest memories was we were at a river and he threw me up to the clouds and back down and caught me and then threw me in the water, you know, and that's one of my, it was a whole body experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm sure that's what you're giving the kids. And I wonder the feeling of it, what you can tell us for you and for them, what's really going on. It could look from the outside like it's rough, yeah. but much more is going on. Tell us, tell us about that. Oh, totally. And, and you know, it's funny when you, when you mentioned that about your father, I have those yeah. exact same feelings about my father throwing me up in the air. <laughs> and like, I remember, I mean, not even that long ago, just telling people like, yeah, my dad would, could throw me like 40 feet in the air, <laughs> you know, because that's how it felt, you know, yes, when you're, yes. when you're like in a two foot frame, every, right. you know, you go a little bit above four feet and it's going to feel like 
like 40 feet. Um, yeah. And, you know, in, in my personal life, I snowboard a lot and have taken some big, uh, gone off some big, uh, big sort of rock faces and whatnot that are like, you know, 16 to 20 feet, which is actually pretty substantial. So I know yes, my, so I know my dad didn't like throw me yeah. 40 feet in the air, but it, you know, whenever I am taking those risks off uh, snowboarding, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is that same feeling. And, and, and when I'm, you know, launching off of a rock face into some powder, like I, and I'm in that air, I get, I, I, there's something in my mind that just brings me back to that feeling in childhood. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and I think it's obviously it has, those small experiences um, has led into my adult <laughs> sort of like risk-taking um, but to answer your question, you know, when, when, for me, there's a lot of, uh, I've learned that there's a lot of sort of assessment in toward, in, in terms of like what, where a child's, um, what they call, you know, their proprioception, uh, system mm-hmm. and their vestibular systems where they are. And those are define those just for people. Yeah, yeah. Cause I, yeah. those are, those are systems in our bodies. Um, the vestibular system, for example, is pretty much like what we might consider your inner ear. So it's mm-hmm. sort of your balance and proprioception is kind of where your body is in space. And how do you navigate that? How do you mm-hmm. sort of control these things? So you look at like gymnasts and figure skaters um, and any sort of athletes and uh, they have very strong proprioception and vestibular mm-hmm. systems, or they've mm-hmm. developed those things or you, you know, uh, I'm sure you might have, and maybe some of your listeners have noticed kids who have like in, at a young age, a very uh, coordinated sense of self. And that mm-hmm. tells us that they have, um, you know, strong vestibular and proprioce- uh, proprioception. Mm-hmm. Um, now when I'm twirling a kid around my body, basically like a scarf or I'm putting <laughs> them upside down uh, and just, I can feel it in their body when, if they're comfortable with it or not. Right. Like they, it almost looks like swing dancing with what I'm doing with the child. (laughs) And if they're getting rigid and they're getting kind of like, yeah, I mean, just rigid and you can feel them grabbing onto you. It's not so much that they don't trust. I mean, there is a good element of that, that Mm -hmm. they don't trust me. It's more of they're not, they don't trust that, that feeling in their own body. Mm -hmm. And so and, and it's and it's interesting because I have noticed with those children, they they also generally have other questions going on in terms of self regulation, and because you know when we think about the holistic child, it's all these things. It's not just what's going on um, with language skills or behavior management or or pro social skills and social emotional development, but it's also these new, sort of nuanced um, physical capabilities that I think. Mm-hmm a lot of, a lot of people don't take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and I, and I've had this pointed out by, um, occupational therapists and speech language pathologists and really just sort of saying like, Hey, that's, that's great that, that you're doing this with this particular child. Um, cause it's tapping into, to, to a system that may be needing more support and more growth. Um, and so as this child, if a child's feeling like what I can tell particularly uncomfortable, I will just name out, like, feel my hand on your, on your calf and I'll give it like three squeezes. And then I'll like, and then, and then feel my other hand on your shoulder, 
Phil squeezes. Now I'm going to bring that calf over my head and my hand is still there. Keep feeling my hand, right? Like allowing them to, for their body to think about where my hands are Mm. so they can put it all together. And then, you know, there's a little bit of like, they kind of forget that they're being twirled around because their, Mm -hmm. their, their mind is having to focus on where my, where my, uh, hands is on their on their limbs and so that you know eventually they they you can feel them just relax just the muscle rigidity just go loose um and and i i i have practiced martial arts for a good chunk of my life and so i uh especially like judo um where you were being relaxed and being um sort of as they say you know go with the flow is going to be more beneficial to you. And so, uh, and it's funny in my martial arts practices, I was generally a good uke and a uke is a dummy, like a good, you know, it's okay. something to toss around. Yeah. Um, because a lot of my instructors realized like I, when they would throw, I was always used as an example because <laughs> I just was, t- I just let them throw me. Right. Uh-huh. Because whoever's doing the throwing could also get hurt if you, if the throwee is uh, rigiding and getting too tense and, yeah. and fighting the force. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I kind of try to, you know, break that down to even the toddler level of where I'll tell them, Hey, let your body go soft, you know, let it go soft like a blanket and I'll, and I'll take care and I'll, and I'll make sure my job is to make sure you're safe. I care yeah. for you and I love you and I will take you, I'll make sure you're safe and we're going to have this fun. So, uh, um, so yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot in, in just putting, there's a lot to be said in putting a kid upside down and like, uh, spinning them around for sure. Absolutely. I, I love how you, I hadn't really thought about it, but as soon as you said it, of course, that, you know, we keep getting reminded, don't we, about every, how everything is connected, Yeah. you know, and, and and I just really appreciate that. One of the questions that I have is, um, do you clear this with the parents first? Do they know? Because uh, some parents are, you know, that helicopter parenting thing, yeah. that overly cautious element that's going on these days. Uh, what, answer about that issue. Yeah, you know, when we, um, when we do kick off our year, uh, my classroom, we will try to arrange a time like pretty soon after we start the year. Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't start the year off just doing this to the children. Right. I definitely build a rapport with them. Like definitely make that, um, that social emotional connection first. And then when we have our chances to, to introduce what we call our big body space, then we'll, Mm -hmm. then, then I'll start kind of introducing those things. Um, but with the, so at the beginning of the year, my classroom will have, um, an all family gathering for whatever, uh, families can attend it. And we just kind of lay out what are, what we would like the year to look like with their children and them. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, and this is by, uh, talking out uh, aloud about what our classroom values are, what our values as individual educators are and how we connect all those together to create this shared experience in community. Um, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest things, you know, I, tell them well and again like you know i've i've been doing this for a little while and most of the parents that do come into my class they're 
they seem to already know or to be to <laughs> to already be well aware of what to expect. I'm sure you have a reputation. It, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And there's um and 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 again with that that sort of reputation and, and like that article and other things like I think it's known that I that I play this way with children and and but I do um intentionally express it and try to gauge the feeling of where a family might be with it. Fortunately, I haven't had too much pushback. Um, and, and in the moments that I have had pushback, we, you know, we talk about it and, and I always bring it, um, bring it back to uh, like putting a sort of developmental and scientific sort of lens on it. So really, so really calling out what's going on within the neuroscience part of it, um, how it's good for the child uh, and and yeah, just really relating it to the holistic approach that, you know, they're going to, they're going to need this as much as they're going to need to know how to recognize shapes. Um, uh, yeah. And so it's really just falling back on values and just kind of letting parents know, like, this is, this is what we're going to do. Um, and this is how, I'll, how I'll keep your child safe. And right. Yeah. And, and you do it with a sensitivity to each child, how each child is, is handling it and then you help that child to expand his or her own boundaries exactly about comfort with it and which just brings me to another point there are boys and girls in your class Mm -hmm. and i i uh i when i was thinking about talking to you about all of this and when i was a teacher i well when i was a little girl i loved i was a tomboy for sure but when I was a teacher, I realized reading your article that I had that bias that you're a little bit more careful with little girls. Yeah. And I, I want you to share your thoughts on that because I thought that was very important because to, I just have to say one more thing that with my boys, they are fearless because I really tried to stretch their boundaries, mm-hmm. their father and I did. And I think that I see so much of that going on. And that was one of the points that you made about stretching those boundaries for both boys and girls in, in the ways that boys need it. And in the ways maybe that girls need it somewhat differently. So let's hear your thoughts. Yeah. You know, I think, and again, when we, when we consider what a young child is already bringing to the table um, Mm -hmm. and some of uh, then, and that's where I think like it's the job of an educator and really it's sort of the art form of education of how do you, how do you make this person more multidimensional, right? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you find it or how do you help them find it within themselves to, to stretch their own limits, to push beyond what they are seeing as expectations of them. And in this regard to what their expectation of gender should be. Um, and yeah. And, and it's, you know, and it's all individual base. And, and, and like in my article, I talk about, like, I, I really do make it a point to, you know, I don't just do this with, you know, with, with the children, like that's, I'm, I probably am taking on, uh, I do make it a point to, to show a, a bigger nurturing, more creative side than just roughhousing. Right. Yeah. I think roughhousing uh, and, and, and the rough and tumble play really is like maybe 
15, 20% of my time or uh, of my teaching with kids. Like, I, yeah, it really doesn't happen like all the time. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a little weird right. too. <laughs> but thank you for making sure yeah. we got that and, point. <laughs> and, and that's the point too, is like, I want, I want both, um, you know, and, and, and I do want to acknowledge that, like, you know, I am um, in support and, and do acknowledge that there are other gender identities. And I think for our conversation, uh, we're, we're just going to kind of fall back on saying girls and boys, and especially at this young age, just because that sense of self is still fully developing and, and perhaps their gender identity hasn't, um, it, uh, it's still becoming discovered for who, whoever they are as an individual. So yeah, for this, oh, yeah, you. for this conversation, I'll just keep saying um, boys and girls and with the lens that I'm talking mostly about toddlers. Um, uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. yeah. Where was I going with that? <laughs> that they, uh, oh, well, I was just saying that there might be some different ways that they respond, that they need to be stretched, that they need to, you know, be, find out how they're going to respond and, and carry those responses into their future lives. I, I thought that was a beautiful point you made in the article. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I guess that's where, um, where I was going to say is that I really hope that, that they are seeing that there is more one, there's more than one way to be. And in my case, more than one way of just being a man, like, yes, mm -hmm. generally young boys and men tend to be more physical and we tend to do these more roughhouse things. And we can all, we are also nurturing, supportive, and we caring, you know, all these things that may not be reinforced on the grand societal level. It seems to be maybe moving yes though, leaning slightly which we're all so relieved right. for. but um yeah i appreciated that you brought out the fact that kids are you're very much welcoming of them to to signal okay they've had enough or you know that's they can't go any higher or faster or whatever and, and i think that's such a, a valuable thing to be able to experience with someone that you trust that will take you mm -hmm. there and then let it stop when you're ready for it to stop. I mean, yeah, I just feel the value and the truth of that so yeah. much in a young child. And that life. was one of the big uh, side conversations after my presentation that the article is based on um, that mm -hmm. I talked about with someone and this, uh, you know, this might feel a little too real for some people, but I think it's an actual thing to be addressed. I, um, you know, with the idea of, I, I guess it's, you know, rape culture um, and this idea mm. of consent. And mm. when we're, when we're talking about these, these really big concepts and we want children at a young age to really gain a grasp or at least have some sort of strong foundation to build their experiences on, how do we do that? And I feel like something like uh, rough, rough and tumble play does do that. Because it gives us, you know, a chance to really explore the underlying concepts, again, that the adults aren't seeing. And in this case, the idea of consent. And generally, I'm pretty good at asking the children before we play certain games, like, hey, can I, you know, can we do this? Um, now, you know, I generally, sometimes I'll forget, but, and they'll make it known. Or if I, and if I hear them saying it, I'll take a moment to really just take this role of an announcer 
in my teacher role and say, oh, I hear so-and-so say, no, do not knock me down. I'm going to listen and respect that message. And then I'll kind of model like going on to the next kid. And if I, if I do make that mistake and I do, and a kid's not ready to play that, whatever it was, then it's also my responsibility to, to model that as well. And that might sound like, oh, geez, I didn't check in with you first and I made you feel sad. Can I help you feel better? What can I do to help you? The next time I play this game, I'll make sure I ask you and make sure you're ready and respect your choice, you know, and, and just kind of model these things. And, you know, all of this is what I think adults, I mean, don't really think about because we are, children are always looking at us for certain modeling aspects. And so I guess what I'm emphasizing there is this, um, an age appropriate sort of idea uh, of modeling consent. And so that's where I think, you know, we can build these strong foundations of like, no, they said no, and that's what it means. And you need to respect that choice, move on. And, and I, and eventually with each, um, you know, experience that a child has, hopefully they can build off of, build off of that, like rough and tumble experience of being able to say no or yes to something. And, uh, Beautiful. I, I want to hear, I wanted to hear, like, if you can recall a conversation when that kind of experience happened where you forgot to get permission or you saw that the child was, you know, not happy and you acknowledged it with the child. Then what did the child say? Uh, yeah. So how did the child react? Um, you know, I mean, to be quite honest, like there's probably, I mean, there's been a, a, many of those situations, you know, so where it's, you know, I've, I've sort of yeah. made that I get, I get too wrapped up in my own play that, that then it like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to take it back a notch, but you know, <laughs> and, and what I can't, I, and it's funny. Cause there's like, there are situations that are sort of flashing through my mind and, and generally the child. And again, at the toddler level, they're, they're mad at first. And then they hear that sort of resolution. And, and, and I think coming uh, coming in an authentic delivery and then also experiencing mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, he's following his word. They, they just kind of get up and smile. And sometimes, um, and actually this year, like I, I know there's, I had this one little girl who I like was playing the, the game bowling for children with and knocked her down. Wasn't when she wasn't ready. And she, uh, and I kind of went through those emotions of like, Oh geez. So-and-so I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean yeah. I should have checked in with you first. And she got up. I mean, you know, she was kind of pouting and like giving me just like the worst side eye. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and and then as soon as I kind of gave and, and or gave and took ownership of what I did to wrong her, <laughs> then she she got up and kind of just hugged my leg. It's like that's okay, Nikki. I'm playing now, and just kind of you know, and then and then went on went on about yeah. the day. And yeah. so they are looking for. Yeah. Um, a sense of resolution and accountability within us as, as adults. Um, That's fair. Kids want what's fair. Right. You know, and fair is simple. It's Mm -hmm. clean and it's honest and uh, not complicated. And you gave it to her. And then we move on to resilience, that magnificent resilience that they have, which is always probably so inspiring to you. (laughs) to be around. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. 
Um, I am so inspired by you. I was, I was hoping that there would be some scientific element that you would bring into it too. And I'm so gratified by that. I'm sure you could talk more to that if you wanted to, but um, do you, or is there anything else you want to bring into this conversation? Oh, well, sure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, I think one of the biggest things that I, I like to tell adults and especially educators, you know, cause it's really interesting when we, find, these day and age, like we're really finding a disproportionate amount of um, young boys in particular coming out with a lot of diagnoses and, and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. sort of labels. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and when we look at the field of early childhood education, the majority of them are, are women. And this is an idea of, and, and the value of what education has been trying to push is, is representation. And in the past couple of decades, there's been sort of a lot of pushes to authentically represent children's cultures, including race and ethnicity, religions, family makeup, all the elements that sort of make up the whole child who's coming to the classroom. And while it's yeah. true that like some children may not have male figures in their lives, it is also true that they're going to encounter uh, male identifying people as they grow older. And so, yeah. you know, when if if they are continually to experience most of their lives in a very gender un, an unbal- or gender unbalanced field or school, you know, th- then how how are we going to how is this that short sort of shift going to happen for the perception of young boys. And and I think there's a lot of understanding that needs to happen and, and just context, like on the, on the science level. And, and here's some, like, these are the facts that I was going to kind of just throw out there for people to just kind of stew on of like, when they're thinking of like, Oh, why is this boy like this? Or why, why are these boys and girls so much more different? Why is one more compliant than the other one? And really, what's the idea and expectation of compliance? So mm-hmm. between the hemispheres of, of our brains is this thick, rich fiber bundle, bundle of uh, fibers called the corpus callosum. And in, at about two years old, it's already 20% larger in girl brains than it is boy brains. And, and this, this oh. uh, thick band of fibers is responsible for both hemispheres communicating. So we're all, already young girls, mm-hmm. um, hemis- uh, the hemispheres of their brains are already communicating efficient, more efficiently than, than a young boys are. and Which implies that they... Th- they're sort what? of accessing more parts of their brain and, um, and accessing more language centers of their brain. More yeah. language, okay. Like receptive okay. and um, processing language. Um, mm. And they get... 15%, about 15, 20% more blood flow to their brains, which means more oxygen to their brains. Right now. Right. And, and this okay. is an interesting thing when you think about like, well, when we're feeling tired or we're feeling kind of sluggish as adult humans to get our blood moving, what do we do? Move around. <laughs> right. And so right. this might be a nice little clue to why young little boys seem fidgety or sort of spazzy and why they're always kind of like just these like live wires moving around everywhere because they're generating oxygen to their brain 
they're generating more oxygen through their blood flow. Um, and in boy brains, they have more spinal fluid around, surrounding their brain than girls do. And this spinal fluid kind of leads them to more gross motor play. It, uh, it implores them to solve problems with a more hands-on approach. And what I find funny is, and, and quite uh, interesting, is that this fluid is also just another protective um, cushion for the brain. And, you know, lots of times young boys are knocking their heads around on things. Uh, I know I was one uh, of them. Uh, and uh, yeah. and also in boy brains they have a uh, i hope i don't butcher this word but i have a larger uh, temporal parietal lobe and that is responsible for um how we process visual spatial relations and so it they already wow. in their brains already have this big chunk of their brain that's gearing them to just do and to just approach things with a hands-on uh, sort of method um and yeah, and like I pointed out, they, uh, you know, girls are have more language centers in their brain. I think I read some at some point, like seven to three sort of ratio where girls have seven and boys wow. just kind of have three that are their strongest sort of language centers. So, you know, all these sort of uh, neuro neuroscience facts can kind of give us a nice rich context of why, why we see these sort of gender differences and yeah. and, and 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 it's physiological right. it's not on purpose it's right. not <laughs> personality it's physiological we're all just wired yeah. different yeah okay wired differently yes. oh no Go no on. I'm sorry. um yeah and you know i was just gonna say that it you know and i think for educators and caregivers uh it gives a good context of like of how maybe our curriculum is biased in that sense, right? A lot of yeah. times children are expected to kind of just sit and comply and do the work or, or, yeah. you know, there's not, I mean, we've already seen at the public school level, a lot of decrease in physical activity. And, mm. um, and then what I was going to say earlier too, is that, you know, boys are, are generally going to be outnumbered when it comes to school. Like they're going to be there. There's no representation of them as men or as males or as boys. And I, and I, that's that representation piece I was talking about earlier is that boys are going to need other boys and at the society uh, or at least ma male teachers. And that's why I find my role, you know, particularly important to be with toddlers um and really it comes down to the societal level of expecting male involvement like this should not be just something that where i'm where myself and other colleagues are always called unicorns so we're always like hey you know oh that's so nice to see oh it's so cute you never see that we need to get to a point where it's Bug. no we expect yeah. male involvement you know and yeah. And this it. is, you, you know, it. it's really just about dismantling those, those gender constructed norms. Um, and I think that me or myself and my other colleagues and friends who are also in early childhood, that's how a lot of us are kind of seeing this is like, you know, we are kind of that action in motion of hopefully, you know, showing other people that and children that there's this other way um that, that that a man can be
Yeah. And, and, and how did this happen for you? How did you, how did this start for you? How did yeah. you get into it? And, and then I imagine that over the years you saw that it was something, oh, this is, this is, did you know it was as important as it was when you started? Um, you know, so I think by my, like, uh, my senior year of college, cause I, I did, so I, I went to college to, to, uh, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. I had always wanted to be a teacher. I never had it in my mind to be like anything oh. else. Um, okay. Although maybe at one point when I was like seven, I wanted to be a garbage man. I remember that, but, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know why in particular, but um, I, I did. Yeah. Cause you're like, a boy. You, know, you get to find cool stuff in the garbage. You get to drive a cool truck. And, and it's, it's noisy yeah, and why gross. Not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, go and on. And so when I, when I was at school, I took uh, the general human development class. And, and I wanted to be um, like an elementary school teacher. So I wanted to work with young children. And I had always, even as a child myself, really just loved going to school. And, and I, and I mm. think I sort of was privy to the teacher student dynamic and really just enjoy, I had a good rapport with my teachers and enjoyed the banter we had gotten into, you know, from elementary school all the way to high school. So I entered, you know, college with this idea of being a teacher. And so in my first human development class, we briefly touched on early childhood education and my mind was just kind of blown. And this was one of those classes where there's like 300 students in, cause it's just a general generalized uh, class mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was just blown away that people I didn't know that this was like a whole science scientific sort of field that people were taking preschool seriously and so mm -hmm. I like after that first class might have been the first day I went up to that professor and was like hey how can I wrap this into like a double major or whatever and that pro I remember that professor was just sort of like you really and I was like, yeah. And I just started taking classes. Um, and it, I probably by my like, uh, second semester as a freshman and it being my second or third human development class, I realized, oh, there aren't very many guys in this, in these classes. And oh, the more that right. I moved up in the human development few, uh, class range, less and less and less because you know the study becomes much more uh focused and um and specified and especially if you know there was a good chunk of us who were all together for for just human development and then some people went off to um social work and some people went off to like working with teenagers and 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 the high school level and that's when i started seeing the dwindling numbers of men in my classes because i was uh -huh, still staying uh -huh. the route of early childhood and soon enough, like, uh -huh. yeah, by my senior year, uh, it was just me <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and the rest were female, uh, students. And I had yeah. one male professor and, um, and he really like encouraged me to stick with it. And, and I really felt that like the, my professors and my advisors were really just like, encouraging me to just really stick with it and you know I would come to them with like some ideas and questions all the time and 
they just would entertain my thoughts and and i when i reflect on it now i'm like oh they were like really trying to keep me going with this and um yeah but it wasn't until yeah maybe my third or fourth year into actual working with young children that then this idea of uh yeah of the the need of male involvement was was really big and and crucial yeah. for young children yeah and crucial. i didn't yeah. i didn't quite grasp it until someone encouraged me to participate in the uh, world forum foundation men in early childhood education group and then that just kind of blew the doors open and that's where i get the motto of you know expect male involvement um and and they and those gentlemen have been uh like heroes to me because they they have many of these guys are ready to retire and they've been in the field for 40 plus years they're the sort of unsung heroes i think of the um the of championing uh gender balanced workplaces and so you know i'm i'm really fortunate to have met them and been and and kind of getting schooled by them and with them to uh to really keep this this sort of um to keep this alive this idea alive yeah yeah i know that when parents do get to have a, a male teacher for their young children it's they mostly are extremely appreciative. I'm sure yeah. you experience that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I've, uh, and then I, I make it a point to like, even if the mood strikes me, right. I just like, I'll take some of the dads aside and kind of ask, ask them how, how they felt about it when they first came in into it. And, yeah. you know, a couple of them, or I mean, a good chunk of them have been kind of like, uh, yeah, it was a little weird, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of felt Papa Bear but then you know by the third day when I see my young son or daughter excited to see you and like ready to just leave me and like and give you a big Uh hug then they're they're like yeah then then that all went away you know they're like you must be doing something right (laughs) so uh yeah it's um yeah it's it's been encouraging I would say well, you have blown my heart wide open, Nick, and um, I, I'm thinking of about 100 other questions and topics oh, yeah. I want to cover with you, but I think that we should organize ourselves for another conversation. Oh, yes, most soon, definitely. Okay? Um, and I want you to think about topics that, that you may know about that don't even occur to me, like, you know, whatever you feel is important. I, we need to stay in touch and... Uh, whatever I can do to help uh, spread the word about your very expanded and deeply nourishing perspective. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I think that, could you tell me the name of that world forum? World forum foundation. And, and then there it's like on early, early education. Um, and it's the the men in early childhood education. Yeah. So it's like okay. the men's group. Um uh, in underneath of, the yeah, of the of the World Forum Foundation. And and that's uh, tied it. into okay, okay, exchange okay. as well. So 
Oh, um, in the article? No, just uh, or, yeah, no, just with, with the organization. The organization. Perfect. Okay, because uh, I did see that somewhere and I couldn't remember where. Um, I'm going to ex- uh, in- include that in the yeah. show's notes. Um, and if there's anything else you want me to include, then just okay. Text yeah, me we uh, we just did a webinar as well, um, kind of talking about some of these what we kind of just talked about. And so I can, once I get the link, I could probably forward that along to you. Absolutely. And uh, fantastic. I mean, yeah. I could go on right now, but um, I try to keep these, you know, listenable. So people just feel like, I oh, can totally. take a chunk, you know, and just, but so important, so happy, so fun, so wonderful, so right. And so good what you're up to. And thank you with all my heart. And uh, we great. Will thank you so soon, much. Okay? Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Always more to be learning and understanding about the little ones in our care, eh? Did you gain new layers of appreciation for Nick's approach to nurturing the holistic development of young children? I did. I loved his clear explanation about the neurophysiological differences between boys and girls and how those differences make all the difference in the world. It's so important for us to understand those those developmental uh, marks, markers of their young, evolving little bodies and physiologies and psychologies. In closing, I want to express my respect and appreciation for Nick's involvement with the World Forum Foundation and also his focused attention in the Men in Early Childhood Education working group with that organization. I hope you'll check out those links, which I've left in the show's notes, because it's a really quality organization. Once again, I'll remind you about the Facebook page for this podcast. It's called, no surprise, Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, and it's super easy to like. And once you do like it, you'll receive extra info and insights about episodes and all things far and wide, deep, and perhaps unexpected related to today's kids' social-emotional learning and their life skills development. Also, you know your ratings and reviews help to get these conversations heard by more and more folks who will gain value from them. Thank you. Till next time. Thank you.